This episode of Inspiration Point is brought to you by the Quests and Chaos Podcast Network and the generous patrons over on patreon.com slash inspiration point. So we'd like to give a big shout out to Punching Potato, Garlic Bread, Eric, Dragon Workshop, Spike, and Red Dead Coquette. And at our Muse $20 level, we'd like to thank Prostaskias, Leroy, Kate, Jeremy, Jenna, Jacob, Falangor, and Cheryl. Thank you for helping us bring a little inspiration out into the world. And now, on with the show. All right. Um, hi, Tiana. How are you doing? <laughs> hi, Adam. I'm doing good. How about yourself? <laughs> <laughs> I just got out of the Dungeons and Dragons game in person uh, with uh, my wife, daughter, and a couple of her friends. And uh, it would it didn't go great. <laughs> I oh, mean, no. I think people I think people had fun. Interesting things happened, but it was definitely like a downbeat kind of thing where like they just keep losing. And uh, a lot of that has to do with like their lack of optimization, but also me probably making things a little bit too difficult, whereas like. You know how fine a line it can be in these games between like push over easy and just bone crunching difficulty. Yeah. And the difference can be in just like a split second. You have a round where the PCs all miss and suddenly the monsters are stomping them into the ground. That is absolutely true. Like sometimes the dice just decide, you know, you lose today. Yeah. Like our barbarian, he like couldn't stop critting last week. And this week, it it was like, I think he hit once. Oh, no. <laughs> you know? Like, it was just horrible. Like, even reckless attacks, you know, just whiffing. And then they don't have uh, extra attack yet. And so, they're just getting crushed by these bugbears. Well, what had happened was they, they went into this dungeon area underground. And they were told beforehand, there might be bugbears back there. Just so you know. And so they were like looking around, but they would just kind of like peek around corners, you know, and the, the light source issue was not completely resolved. Mm. They weren't doing like thorough searches. They weren't paying attention to their own stealth. So the enemy was totally alerted to their presence. And these are bugbears. Like the one thing that they do is ambush people. And bugbears are right. really well equipped for underground ambushing specifically. Just, uh. Yeah, they really are. That's like where they live. And so one of them just gets bashed in the head for like almost all their health in, in like the first go. Oh, no. You know, and then I had I was like, OK, I'm going to play a little bit more risk reward. So since like they all have morning stars, I was like. They're going to like two hand this and drop the shield. So instead of rolling a 2d8 on a hit, I'm rolling 2d10, even though their AC is too lower. Like it doesn't matter because they're just clobbering the poor players. You know, like if they managed to hit once, it was like half your HP. Oh, my gosh. So it was pretty brutal. One of them died as a result. Like true um, death? True death. Yes. But being the, the kindly GM I am. I said, would you like to live at a cost? <laughs> I mean, that's always an interesting conversation to have with that sort of thing. Yeah, you should always pick the interesting thing, right? So 
the dumb thing, as Andrew would put it. <laughs> so I, I said, you will take a permanent injury, but you will live. And uh, the player agreed to this. And so I randomly rolled on a body chart thing. And uh, guess what part of their body they lost? If you say they lost an eye, I'm going to be so amused. I know. That would be lame, right? Like, everybody loses an eye. Like, that's that's like the obvious choice because it looks so badass, right? Yeah. And it's like, oh, is it? It's it's definitely inconvenient, but it's not gonna completely cripple my character. No, it it you're in the right region, but uh, no, not not an eye. Did they lose a head? <laughs> lose their whole head? I don't know how I, you lose yeah, your head yeah. and still live. I'm Morning not sure stars? how that would work. Well, not not and still live, but I mean, Morning Stars will take your head right off your neck. Oh, absolutely. They'll they'll bust it like a pumpkin. Uh huh. You know. So this player lost their tongue. To a morning star? Yeah. Did they like bite it off when their head got got smacked? So I, they were already down, and the bugbear like hit them while down. Okay. Right? And so it's like he smashed into your face, and then when he pulled back, like on the a moment of impact, it stabbed through your tongue. Ah. Oh. And then when he when he recoiled, he tore it out essentially. Gross! I love it. <laughs> Gross! I love it. <laughs> I was an EMT. I'm I'm always fascinated by these sorts of things. So I I mean the the real reason is I rolled on a chart and that's what the chart said. But mm-hmm. like you know trying to illustrate it in a way makes it kind of interesting. So you know they've been scrambling to survive. It's been like they've really been going through the ringer. So I have to make sure that next time. They get like a big W, right? They get that big, like upbeat and things like feel awesome. They need to feel awesome. Yeah, because I mean, the the reward in story for going through all of the trauma and everything is getting that big win, getting some big thing that your character wants, whatever that might be. I agree. That's, you know, even if that's just feeling truly epic on the battlefield, quote unquote, just I agree. I think that's important. Yeah, yeah, you need your big win moment. Otherwise, it can feel very sloggy and punishing. And why am I still playing? Yeah, why am I still playing? You get frustrated. You know, players start saying, this is BS, this is unfair. Mm -hmm. You know, stuff like that. And it's like, well, yeah, it is a little unfair. I mean, you're in a dark, unlit dungeon with bugbears. (laughs) Like... (laughs) It's not fair. That's a very life is pain, princess. Anyone who says otherwise is selling something kind of moment. <laughs> That's definitely one of the best lines from that movie. <laughs> Where you're like, wow, with all the quipping going on, like that was surprisingly deep. <laughs> it, it, this is like it, right after the line about <laughs> never go against a Sicilian <laughs> when death is on the line and yep. then dies. Um, like, like two minutes later. That is a truly perfect line. movie. It really is, you know, just 10 out of 10 would read a book to sick grandson again. <laughs> I love that movie. I love that movie a lot. The 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 book it's based on is also quite good because the book a lot is more based detail. on Well, it's also um are you familiar with the story of of the Princess Bride book? Yes. I yes. I, 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 I love not it in so detail, much. but I have gone through it. Yeah. Um and I've I've like learned more about like Fezzik's past and mm-hmm. um we get more into like Rugen and uh, Humperdinck's real obsession with hunting. It's like 
that's not like a thing he does that he's good at. It's like his life. That is his, his whole, thing. <laughs> the His whole identity is hunting things. Like, that's what he cares about. Mm-hmm. So it's, yeah, there's a few interesting differences. It's probably needlessly bloated in a way. Um, Which is so funny it's like, because it's the good parts cut. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, you know, I guess that's the joy of books, right? You don't need to worry about, you know, film pacing. You're just like, hey, if you want all the detail, here it is. Sit down, my friends, and I will tell you a tale that will take <laughs> 16 hours on the audiobook. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, but highly recommend. I I uh, am definitely a movie watcher more than a book reader. That's for sure. I don't know how you feel about it. Um, well, of course, I know how you feel about it. You're a you're much more of a book reader <laughs> I than a really film am. watcher. I really you're much am. more of an anything than a film watcher. <laughs> I'd argue, but you're mostly right. <laughs> I go through I go through phases, right? Especially when I'm around other people who are yeah. watching films or whatnot. Um, I'd argue that the thing that I'm least consistent about doing is playing video games, actually. Oh, okay. So you have a healthy life. <laughs> <laughs> There's that. And then, you know, I pop open Wildermeth and then I disappear for 16 hours and only resurface <laughs> when my computer dies because my laptop is not actually strong enough to stay charged while I'm playing it. Yeah, that's a cute game, Wildermeth. It's so good. I'm, I'm definitely a very avid gamer, so I'm like on all the time. I'm always playing something. I was thinking about that the other day. I'm like, do I play too many games? And then I was like, who's to say anyone does too much of anything, <laughs> which is probably a red flag answer. But, you know, <laughs> well, it's, it's one of those things where it's like um, it's like alcohol consumption. Is it is it something that is um, affecting your life in a detrimental way? Yes. <laughs> then yes, you probably are. <laughs> right. Hello, yeah, Adam. Sit down. This is your video games intervention. It really yeah, <laughs> I, led by me. Um it definitely can get in the way of, of other goals. Like, it's definitely way easier when I'm on, like, my scheduled work grind and I don't really have a choice. <laughs> you know, I have to get up early in the morning. I have to go to work. I have to stay there. I have to do my thing. Right. And then I get home and I have things I have to do. Mm -hmm. Right. Right now I'm on summer break. <laughs> it's a little different. I will say that is one of the hardest parts about being a gig worker. I am either so focused on the projects that I am doing to the exclusion of anything right. fun, or I get lost in video games for 12 hours every day and then surface and go, oh, no, a podcast is late. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's feast or famine, I would imagine. Pretty much. I think you have to have a lot of personal discipline to be successful in a, in a gig lifestyle. I, that is self-discipline I'm not sure I possess. I think I think the only reason that I'm any good at it is because I started training it very young. I started hmm. uh, working for someone who was uh, part of my church when I was like 12 as a housekeeper, as a, you know, going to house to house cleaning them. Um, mm -hmm. And then turned that into my own business when I was 17 because that was just a thing that I did. Right. Do you do you find some Zen joy in cleaning a space? My favorite cleaning activity is vacuuming because people leave me alone. Oh, it's mine too. <laughs> <laughs> is it for the same reason? Because people leave you alone? Um, no, uh, it's because I get to stand. Mm. Um, so I like that. And I don't have to lift my arms. 
So it's, and yeah, and like the white noise of it is kind of enjoyable. I actually sleep with a white noise machine. Like, I definitely like the drowned out everything kind of feel. And I do like the satisfaction of seeing like the line you've made with the vacuum Mm -hmm. versus the line next to it. And then you like complete it and it has that sort of satisfying quality. Yeah, it's that little (laughs) dopamine dump of getting like those lines very nice. It's it's one of the few reasons that I can see why people are like, yes, the lawn looks perfect. I can see (laughs) all of the cut marks and it's beautiful. I'm like, you do (laughs) you, boo. (laughs) But my kitchen is a disaster. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, because I live alone most of the time, I, you know, do all of the dishes and the laundry and keeping up with the house. So there's a satisfaction in not living in squalor, but there's also the constant, I have to do this or I will live in squalor. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So that's something I definitely want to uh, improve on my personal character sheet, right? And IRL character sheet, like gain real proficiency in like cleaning and organizing and time management and all of these things that are not on the D&D character sheet. So I always forget about them. (laughs) (laughs) It's one of the reasons why I keep a, a list of things that I need to get done during the week or want to get done. And there's the work stuff and there's the personal stuff. And um, I don't I, I, I must have mentioned to you at some point, but I have depression. And when uh, the depression gets particularly bad, you know, these days, <laughs> <laughs> gestures these vaguely days, at honestly. the world. Everyone has depression because look at the world. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've got depression. I take pills, you know, like. Like, who doesn't, honestly? Like, if, if you're out there and you're feeling bad about this or insecure, just just know There's you a whole are, like, bunch not only not alone, but, you're like, it would be the reverse, actually. <laughs> <laughs> but one of the things that I struggle with when it gets particularly bad is things like oral hygiene. And so mm. I actually have on my weekly to-do thing brush teeth with a check mark for each day. Mm, good. Because that's good. something that I find really hard to keep up with when that sort of thing gets bad. So that's like my personal, not character shape, but definitely my personal quest list for for the week. Okay, your dailies. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I can't sleep without brushing uh, my teeth, but I, I need to start flossing. I'm, I'm very bad about that. Anyway, <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, I've been doing a lot of looking at the game and I've mentioned before that um, I'm really kind of not not thrilled about the direction that one D&D is going in, mm-hmm. you know, and I know for a lot of people, they're like, well, stop playing D&D. There's so many great games out there. It's like, yeah, true. But I also do like Dungeons and Dragons. You right. Know? And I would like to m- make it as good as I can make it. Right. I don't. I feel like the game is bigger than than Wizards is, right? And, like, I think the whole debate kind of proved that. It's like, Wizards, like, even you need to come to realize you only sort of own this game. Sure. You know, it's, it, it's really bigger than you. I would say that, that Watsy owns D&D in the same way that an author owns their particular um, story. Like, re- like... Like how Rick Riordan owns Percy Jackson, for example. Sure, he has the copyright and he wrote it. But as soon as you put it out into the world, uh, people are doing what they want to do with it. They write fan fiction. They do little fan vids. They do little fan songs. Like I was in the BBC Sherlock fandom very shortly after the big 
uh, thing in 2012. And man, that fandom no longer belonged to the BBC. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Um- you, even uh, when it comes to things like film adaptations, which we were just talking about, you know, a lot of times there's a big difference between what the book seems to imply and what in which actor gets chosen and what the makeup artist is doing and and all of these things. So, like, for instance, like in the Harry Potter films, you know, Hermione is described very differently than Emma Watson shows. Right. Yeah. And so it's. And and I think for a lot of people, they were like, oh, that's fine. No problem. Like for me, I didn't read the books at first. So I was like, whatever, this doesn't matter. But I know for a lot of people, that was quite irritating to them. Sure. Um, they didn't like how Harry looked. They didn't look. I, I think everybody liked Hagrid. But like, <laughs> I mean, that's you know, because Hagrid looked fantastic and very much looked like what I think people had the impression of. Yeah, and all of our headcanon for all these characters is going to be, like, totally different. Um, there's a few reasons I don't dig a lot of the decisions being made in one D&D. Like, number one, I don't think it's different enough to, like, justify being a different system or even a different version of a system. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't feel like any of the decisions being made are particularly bold or interesting it seems like we're just playing it safe and then going, please don't hate me, audience. What do you think of this? And then, like, just basically kind of, like, placating. And I don't see that it has, like, really a central creative vision that is inspiring it. So, you know, I've talked about on this show before about what I would do, uh, let's say, to the barbarian class, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I've talked about the monk a little bit. Um, you know, I've been thinking about other classes, but I've also been doing a lot of thinking about races. And, you know, first of all, I think one thing that they're doing in, in one D and D they're not actually calling them races anymore. I think they're being called like species or something. I forget what it is. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. They, they've gotten away from the word race because of the, well, we've made some boo-boos in American history um, where in order to maintain um, the South as part of the Union, <laughs> Jeez. Uh, certain concessions were made <laughs> that didn't age well. Um, yeah. And, you know, as, as a result of that and, and other events that were caused by it and you know, frankly, a lot of, you know, human history in general, you know, it's it's a thing where it it has a very negative connotation now. Sure. You know, it, it definitely can make a lot of people uneasy. And I've seen the community, you know, complain or have debates that run the gamut of different levels where on the one hand, it's like, you know, some people are like, this is all fantasy. It doesn't matter. Right. Like Mm -hmm. you shouldn't be offended by orcs because orcs are orcs. And then I've seen other people say, well, orcs are very reminiscent of this culture and they were meant to be reminiscent of them. And they were marginalized throughout history. And 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 I think that, you know, they both arguments have their points. Sure. And I by no means am a uh, am a, like a professional sociologist that could really like comment. The only thing I can really think about is, you know, does this idea 
have a place in games. And if it does, if we can make a room for the, the idea that we are different creatures, uh, even if we're all like humanoids of some kind or something similar enough, how can we make them different without being, you know, uh, like offensive or boring, you know, distinct without being too pigeonholed? Mm-hmm. You know, one thing that they did that everybody was actually pretty happy about was, well, I, I guess not everybody. I can't ever say any, everybody <laughs> was happy about anything. There right? will always be someone who is upset about every choice that is made. Yeah. So in every other version of D&D, they were like, this race gets plus on this and minus on this. And in fifth edition, they were like, okay, we're taking away all the minuses, but they're still pluses, Right. And so it's like, if you're a half-orc, my favorite race, you go plus two strength, plus one constitution, right? And then when Tasha's Cauldron of Everything came out, they said, okay, now it's plus two to whatever, and plus two, or plus one to something else, or plus three to, or plus one to three different things. Right. Yeah, you can never do three to one, right? Um, And then for some reason, the... Mountain Dwarf got like four ability increases, which was like ridiculous. I don't know why they did that. That was pretty crazy. Like plus two strength and constitution, you know. Um, Interesting. It's like, like pretty nutty. I mean, I guess they were a little bit light on other features. Um, and then there's the I don't know if anyone knows this, but there's actually a human other than the variant human. Really? What's that? <laughs> No idea what you're talking about. Why would you ever do anything but a variant human? (laughs) Yeah, nobody, nobody knows. Nobody knows. It's in the book, but like, it's so funny. They're like, here's a little box. If you want, you could do this variation instead. And they're like, no, that's, that's the main one now. The ability to take a feat at first level is kind of amazing. So a feat and a skill, Mm -hmm. right? Like that's, that's really good. That's definitely worth losing some ability points on abilities you don't plan on using. Right. So it's like, okay, you get plus one to everything, which numbers wise is very, very good. Mm -hmm. Or you can do something interesting and still be plenty effective. Hmm. I wonder which one I'm going to choose. And everyone said, I will hit that interesting button. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Now, if this had been like a third edition like paladin or something, I'd be like, okay, I could see the rationale for just needing to put points everywhere. Right. But like for for a fifth edition paladin, it's like, okay, you need like three stats. Yeah, but that's half of your stats. Like I remember um, when we were doing Chaos Agents campaign two, that was something that was kind of a sticking point because we were doing point by which I loathe, but we can talk about that another day. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And Bo was very frustrated about that because he's like, I'm playing a paladin. Paladins need to have good abilities and three scores. And that's rough with point by. Yeah, it's it it is it, it can be really hard. And this is how he ended up with a negative with a 7 intelligence. Ugh. Luckily intelligence is like hardly important in fifth edition. <laughs> yeah. Fair. I mean, when it comes up, you know, I I definitely try to make as much use as, out of investigation checks, but those poor knowledge skills, you know, they I know. just don't get the love that that they need and you know i i am one of the gms who's guilty of that anyway so tasha's came along and said okay if you want to be a half-orc wizard 
you no longer have to feel like you made the objectively incorrect choice. And then, but then there's still other things, right? Like it's still kind of the incorrect choice because you're not making use out of savage attacks, most likely. Right. Sure. You're not going to crit with a melee weapon if you're a wizard. I mean, unless you're Gandalf. Right. Yeah. <laughs> that always annoyed me, by the way, in those movies. My cast a spell. <laughs> He's just running around in a dress, smacking people with a sword. I'm I like, mean, <laughs> this is not something you want me to go in depth on because I can and will about why Gandalf very rarely used magic. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, I'm sure there's reasons, but like I'm coming in from it from the D&D angle and I'm like, uh, do a spell. But yeah, it's that's just me being ignorant of what's in the books. I'm quite the opposite. <laughs> no, I have no doubt. Yeah, yeah. And in that way, you have like tremendously more nerd cred than I have. I mean, you sp you said you speak Elvish. Mm -hmm. Not very well, but I do speak a little bit of Elvish. Yeah, that's nice. And I used to be much better at it when I was a teenager and actively like in the writing role play community where you actually needed to be able to do things like that. Mm. So that's interesting. You were definitely involved in like the role play community before you really got into like the gaming part of it, I guess. Yeah, that's actually how I learned to write was... Um, in the online role-playing community because I, I'd learned the basics, but I didn't know how to tell a good story. And then I was in these forum posts where we were advancing the story one post at a time where it, I mean, it was effectively like rounds of combat in D&D &D, where everyone takes their turn to jump in and be like, this is what my character is doing. Right. Yeah. And that was probably a lot of fun, I would imagine. It was I, great. I, mean, I remember my first few D&D &D sessions ever and just really having a fantastic time. Um, but always feeling like there was something missing and hence why I would always keep running. <laughs> um, okay. So I guess the question I want to ask you is what do you think is the purpose of race in these games? I think the purpose of race in these games is to emulate the books that these things are really based on. I mean, mm. I can come back to Lord of the Rings all day long uh, and will. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and in those books, there are different species, races, whatever you want to call them, of people in the world. And they are visibly different. They have all of these different histories. And for the most part, they are not segregated, but separated, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I, I hear you. I, I mean, there's they're very sort of insular, yes. you might say. Yeah, insular, the, I think the, is the elves best word. and the dwarves don't really interact th with each other unless it's like war. Yeah. And, you know, the halflings are completely separate from everyone else. And they they wouldn't know how to to do a war <laughs> if their life depended on it. <laughs> Sometimes literally. literally yeah. <laughs> you know, like I mean, the, the, like, the hobbits were so insular that that when they started going out into the world with the four uh, people didn't think they existed. You're right. So, right. Uh, but I think a lot of that is pulling on the classic swords and swords and sorcery fantasy where um, drawing off of Tolkien, these different races each had their own histories and so had their own contribution to the world. And people wanted to live in a world where elves and dwarves and halflings were alongside humans. And 
you know, humans have their own merits, but they are not like the superior race. Mm-hmm. They were sort of the inevitable race, you might say. Like, we sort of ex- expect that they will largely take over and win because you were thinking, how could this lead to maybe the world I li- live in on some level? Sure, exactly. And, you know, and there's some self-loathing involved there. Whereas I think we, we look at a, what, a lot of what we do in our human societies and we go, isn't that too bad? Mm-hmm. Isn't that kind of horrible that we do that because we lose this other thing, right? Like we chop down our forests to build our homes and to do other things. And so we don't have these forests. If only there was a, a group of people who protected the forests or <laughs> depended on the forests or. Right. You know. Yeah. yeah. Wouldn't that be interesting? And, and how could they make a civilization work? If they decided I wasn't going to like mass destroy this forest, like if I'm going to try to live in conjunction with it as much as possible, you know, while still creating like things like buildings and libraries and stuff like that, like, how am I going to do that? Mm -hmm. Um, And so like, then you get things like elves, right? And then with the, the, the dwarves, they're much more industrial, right? So they're, I would say they're almost more of a comment on people. Of a certain stripe, as opposed to like, wouldn't it be better if we could all live underground and dig all day? It's like, I don't think that that's what it was saying. No, (laughs) I think it was saying, isn't it too bad that we dig all day? Well, and also, I mean, with the the dwarves in the Lord of the Rings, um, they dug too greedily and and too deep and they unleashed their own destruction upon themselves. I feel like Tolkien was very definitely commenting on industrialization with that. Because it's hundred percent. That's then also tied into um, the scouring of the Shire and what Sodomon had done to the Shire in pursuit of industrialization. Yeah, and then like literally the 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 transforming of elves into orcs. Mm-hmm. You know, I think you know further illustrates that idea. The elves were sort of this like innocent, like man's innocence, you might say. A, a view of the state of nature that would be very positive and peaceful, like a sort of Jean-Jacques Rousseau way of looking at it. Sure. If you never read The Silmarillion, <laughs> yes, that is correct. Okay, I didn't read it. Uh, as I understand, it's difficult to read. I uh, think the, the, the unholy child of uh, a Shakespeare play in the King James Bible. Wow. I love the Silmarillion, but I'm also the kind of person who will sit down with like 12 different colors of whiteboard marker to keep track of the family trees. So I I never had any other Bible other than King James, <laughs> and my dad was a big Shakespeare nerd. So maybe I should give it a shot. <laughs> Honestly, truly, the the creation myth at the beginning, the Song of the Ionur, is one of the most gorgeous things I've ever read. Really? Yes. Wow. Because... Okay. Uh, Yeru and the the Valar and the Valari, they sing the world into existence. Ah. And I love it. And I I swear that uh, either Tolkien was copying Lewis's homework or Lewis was copying Tolkien's homework. Not sure which direction that went. But in uh, <laughs> The Magician's Nephew, uh, when Aslan sings Narnia into existence. Mm-hmm. So someone was copying off of someone's homework. Oh, yeah. Well, they're... <laughs> I mean, and it was the same thing between Shakespeare and Marlowe. Oh, yeah. You know, 
this, this is not a new thing by any means or even a strange thing. Nah. You know, and, and I think we're all richer for it, to be honest. There's a lot of great things to pull from from one another and to build on. And on on that note, um, the we're certainly far past elves, dwarves, and halflings at this point. You know, like with Monsters of the Multiverse and everything else, it's, I mean, that's just the official stuff. Yeah. You know, like there is a lot of stuff that's done out there. So obviously the demand for this kind of fantasy does exist. Like, I don't want to be a human. I like even with Spelljammer, they're like, you can be goo now. <laughs> plasmoids are <laughs> cool. <laughs> plasmoids are cool. Like, you, it's one of those ones that you look at and you go, I didn't think I this was a fantasy of mine, but now I want to be a one of these. Right. That's how I felt about the Heron gun as well, where I was like a bunny person. That's stupid. And then, like, I read the abilities. I'm like, that's busted. I want to be one of those. <laughs> I mean, that's uh, a, that is a fair response. And honestly, like now that I've I have now tried every class except Bloodhunter at least once. And now I want to try all the races at least once because I think they're interesting. That That's one thing I'm really hoping with Baldur's Gate 3 is I can kind of dive into a lot of the builds I'll never get a chance to mm. do in like a real game of D&D. So far, it's pretty detailed. I've also been able to play some Solasta to do some of that uh, to, to perhaps a lesser degree. But uh Anyway, there's a lot of good stuff out there. We've we've gone past elves and dwarves, and now we're on bunny people, uh, goo people, hippo people. Um, we've got um, the furries have taken over. The furries have definitely taken over. The there's the auto gnome. You know, mm-hmm. the, there's like there's so many things you can be right, and like half the book is now just different kinds of fey at this point. Like even all the goblinoids are fays now. Um, yeah, and it's it's really interesting, and you know it's funny when you mentioned the the furries taking over. It's like, man, that was still kind of a pejorative even a couple of years ago. Yeah, and and now it's really kind of a like nobody like people don't hide it like they used to. You know, my a lot of my students are open about being interested in that kind of thing and having fursonas and fursuits and all that stuff. Um. And yeah, like uh, Tabaxi are a super overloaded, in my opinion, <laughs> race in terms of uh, features. Like, they're just so powerful. Tabaxi are so much fun to play, too. I have a Tabaxi rogue in a Strixhaven game, and I'm like, yes, I know. I went for the obvious, but it's fun. And they get the zoomies, like, hardcore. Like, those guys can go fast. <laughs> zoom, zoom, zoom. Really good stuff. Oh, and then I was playing Pathfinder Wrath of the Righteous. And you could lit- like literally one of the race options was essentially a furry without saying it. It was right there. If you go on Hero Forge, uh, you can pick all kinds of animal templates. Yep. To be, in fact, what, the last one I made, I almost went with a bear person because I was like, okay, if I had to pick one, definitely would be a bear. Bring your honey heist character to life, I dare you, dude. That was a fun game, dude. That was I really was fun. Like, I thought I, I think I enjoyed that more because like. Maybe I do have like a bear fursona. <laughs> I would never wear the suits because they're way too hot. But like, well, especially in Arizona, near God, no. At Comic Con, I see them though. I see them running around, just baking inside those things. I assume. 
Uh, but they're as happy as can be. A lot of them actually have a pretty sophisticated like cooling system set up. Like there, you can really you can get vests that you can like keep circulating water going going oh, against wow. your skin to help you cool off, and fans blowing against your face and other body parts. Like it's actually like the really good ones are really sophisticated. Well, that's I'm I'm actually glad because I don't want you know as odd as I may think it is, I don't want anyone collapsing from heat exhaustion. And anyway, and I wouldn't really fault anyone for any kind of fantasy. Like you're not you're not hurting anybody. It's cool with me. Yeah. You know, like you do you have a good time. You spend your money how you want to spend it. <laughs> I think one of the Lord aspects, knows I waste money. <laughs> I mean, mood. I think one of the aspects about the races just kind of in general is um, is people trying out different aspects of themselves. Yeah. So, Absolutely. you know, put yeah. it, put it on different masks, a different like, OK, what are elves like? You know, the great big general term. What what are elves? Which is mm-hmm. a very difficult question to answer sometimes. But you, you could start off with a generalization and then arrow in on what aspect of this appeals to me. Um, for myself, I really love playing half elves because they are a culture without they are a group without a society. They are too elvish mm-hmm, to be human right. and too human to be elvish and don't fit anywhere else. So they have to figure out who they are for themselves. And boy, don't I identify with that. <laughs> so I, I like playing that. What do you, what do you mean up. by that? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Being, being a queer semi-Christian, I can't imagine. Oh, yeah. Can't imagine. Um, I'm sure that's easy. That just means you get to be in both camps, right? Sure, until sure. they kick you out. <laughs> but it's it's interesting to see what people play on in those in those different aspects. Like some people really want to delve into what they consider to be the half orc uh, traits. That's what I want. The half orc traits, where it's you know more animalistic, but where does the animalistic meet with the civilized? And I'm putting heavy quotes on all of those words because they're They're all loaded in some way. Yeah. And they're all broad archetypes and broad stereotypes. And, you know, not every, not every one of the members of that group are like that. So where are you like your parents? Where are you unlike them? And it's, I think that's one of the reasons why races, species, whatever we want to call them, have stuck around as long as they have is because, I mean, we play Persona games. It's the different masks that that people wear. Mm. And it's, you know, different aspects of the shadow self that they're examining. I I 100% agree with that assessment. I think that's correct. Yeah, we and it's not like you want to be a half elf every time. It may be the well that you return to a little bit more than others. I would be the same with like half orc. Where I, you know, my fantasy a lot of times is I want to be strong, but in an interesting, creative way. Mm. Yeah, yeah, you know, a lot of times when I pick my character, when I design my character, usually race is one of the first considerations that I make because I think so much about what my character looks like. And I do draw, so I like to draw my character. I want to make something that's going to be like visually interesting, that's going to like stick in my head and be like memorable for myself and my fellow players and being a different race is an interesting way to do that. I think that D and D has had some very successful designs and some that have seriously lacked. Yeah. So I would say 
you know, other than just saying, okay, well, some of these are just overloaded and powerful, <laughs> right? Like, okay, whether or not it's OP or underpowered, you know, does it get that fantasy across? Does it do the mechanics of the race do what they're meant to do? Like bugbear, I think is just like totally out of control nonsense, right? Do sure. you feel like a bugbear though? Yeah. I would say so. You get to reach far. You get to be good at ambushing. That's their whole religion is ambushing things. And that's great. We could just kind of tune it a little bit, perhaps. (laughs) Meanwhile, then I look at the tortles. I just made a tortle for Arena of the Five E's. And that was a really fun show, by the way. That was a really that that was a really great arena. I I thoroughly enjoyed what uh, Alondra and the players were doing with those. Yeah, what was the name of the player that that played Shelma? Do you uh, know her? I mean, I do. I just, I, I'm just trying to. Was that Christy? Dark hair, glasses. Yeah, dark hair and glasses. Yeah, yeah that's that's Christy. She's over. Uh, she's also over on the redacted reports with us. I thought she captured that Velma energy I was going going for. I was like really hoping that she would get, and she she got it right away. I mean, it's not like I was really subtle. <laughs> what <laughs> you know, with Shelma? Shelma, the tortle, definitely not Velma character. Totally not. Divination wizard with like full ranks and investigation. So I really enjoyed that. But the tortle also has like a claw attack. And I'm like, why is this here? Can I swap this out? When is a turtle or a tortoise ever like clawed something? Right? Like that's a little weird. Mm hmm. Like, okay, it's on the lizard folk has a claw and a bite. That makes sense. I could imagine that, right? Uh, but then we look at the Dragonborn. No claw, no bite, no extra armor class, no wings, tail does nothing. Or or tail doesn't exist, according to Raw. Right, yeah. Which is dumb, because so, I've never, ever, ever seen a Dragonborn uh, player not have a tail. They're like, yeah, but mine has a tail. It's like, yeah, <laughs> of course it does. I mean, yeah. Yeah, so they may, then they're just like, well, breath and element resistance. That's really, that's the best we can do. And then the, the breath ability is not even that impressive. And it doesn't, it doesn't really level very well either. No, it really doesn't. And why would that be hard? Just like, okay, every time your proficiency bonus increases, add a die. Like, it's really, <laughs> you know, something like that. Yeah. You know, why whenever we would increase the the damage on a cantrip, let's do the same thing here. Anyway. So what kind of a fantasy were you looking to play out with the tortle in specific? Was it the idea that tortoises are old and therefore wise because Velma's the smart one? Or what were you what were you going for with that? <laughs> or did you that's not a, go that a, far? <laughs> that's a good point. I was really tinkering around with like a lot of things like I didn't necessarily have a hard idea going in. And then the name Shelma occurred to me. And then I was like, oh, my God. So yes, it was a, it was a pun build. It was really a pun build. But oh. it was also like I have had this idea of, OK, I'm always giving intelligence a hard time. And nobody puts points into things like religion and nature. So I'm going to make a character one of these days that literally has all the knowledge skills and has, you know, is pushing intelligence and has... You know, other things that have to like maybe even a feat that has to do with investigation. I gave uh, Shelma observant. Neat. 
you know, and the picture I found was like this little turtle person with like gigantic Coke bottle glasses. <laughs> and I was like, that's perfect. Um, Jinkies. <laughs> so and, and then it was like the armor class makes a lot of sense. I love that turtles have that like hard 17 AC that you really can't do much to other than add a shield. Mm-hmm. Um, even mage armor doesn't function with it. Shield does. But you can't mage armor on top of turtle shell. Really? That's that's considered like our armor that would negate mage armor? Yeah, essentially, because you can't wear leather armor and cast mage armor, right? It's the same idea. Interesting. Yeah, because it, it adds an armor bonus, right? So if you already have an armor bonus, that doesn't stack. So that that's different from having a spell that says add five to your armor class. Right. Right. The wording there is specific. So shield makes sense because it's temporary. You spent the spell slot. It's gone. Right. Whereas yeah. mage armor is like eight hours. You were basically wearing armor. And every caster that I have ever played with who has mage armor wakes up and casts it on themselves. <laughs> right. Of course you would. Right. Why not? So the, the, the turtle is interesting because you don't have to do that. You just always have 17 or 19 if you have a shield, right? And so for a wizard, that was an interesting build. I like race options where the synergy with different um, play styles is there, right? The one thing I don't like about the half-orc, which is otherwise one of my favorite races, is the savage attacks being limited to melee weapon attacks. Right. It's like, OK, why can't I do a savage attack thing off of a cantrip? Right. If I roll 20 on Eldritch Blast, I should be able to get a little bit more damage for being a half orc. So that might be something I just like homebrew out or something. You know, ask, ask your GM. Right. Yeah. But that isn't something that should have to be homebrewed. And I think that's arrowing right. a little bit more in on your point that, you know, you, you shouldn't, I mean, of course people are going to, people are always going to hack game systems. That is oh, of course, just yeah. the way it is. And every game, like every game, uh, every video game has its modding community, for example. Um, mm-hmm. And the homebrew community for D&D is very strong and very prolific. Um, but I agree because that half-orc savage attacker thing kind of requires the half-orcs to be, well, croc. Right, you yeah, know, all, exactly. All up in the nonsense, bashing things about with a great big sword. Right, they're like, take a melee weapon. You're supposed to have one. It's like, okay, well, maybe I can do a wizard that also, you know, uses the quarterstaff. I wonder if there's anything else in this kit that supports that. Oh, wait, nope, not really. Yeah. You know, there's not really anything here that is going to support that, that's going to make that worth dumping a bunch of points into strength whereas you know obviously you're gonna have to do intelligence and then you really need decks and con to survive (laughs) it's true right and then and now we've got to get strength it's like unless you die rolled this character and got like super lucky you know you're never gonna do it this way Right. And I'm not going to like if given the opportunity cost between casting firebolt or attacking with a quarter staff, but at three less of a bonus because I'm not strong. I mean, obviously, like the right thing to do at that table 
for the good of party longevity <laughs> is to use the cantrip, isn't it? Yeah. Right. It's not just a role play choice. Right. It's a are we going to survive the encounter choice? So that's difficult, right? Yeah. And, and it limits your role play uh, choices and your role play abilities, which is frustrating. So one thing I really like that they're doing is they are putting more things on that are based on proficiency bonus as opposed to like specific ability scores. Right. Mm. And I think that that's a positive change. So the Herangon that I mentioned before, the Herangon still definitely benefits from wisdom because it gains perception. But like I can forgive that. Right. Any any class in the game would benefit from having at least a 12 in wisdom. Right. It would never be a waste. Perception is is just one of those skills that you always take if you can. Yeah, you really do. And Herangon has that. But then it has like the rabbit hop is based like you can do that a number of times uh, based on your proficiency bonus. And then they add their proficiency bonus to their initiative roles. There's l- literally every class in the game can benefit from good initiative. Yeah. Right. And so like to me, they're they're like an ideal, an ideally designed race. I'm like, yes, you nailed it here. Let's make more of this. This is great. Some of the other things like the Mountain Dwarf, like I was mentioning before, is like you get proficiency with these weapons. It's like, well, I guess I better pick something that can make use of that. (laughs) Because like having a proficiency in battle axe, but you're a wizard does not feel like a very rewarding thing. That was interesting, too, when I was playing a wood elf cleric. There were very few things besides the actual like built in because this was before Tasha. I mean, you know, uh, before before that book came out. Um, And the only thing that was like built in that helped her as a cleric was the boost to wisdom. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I mean, um, Mask of the Wild, she was not a sneaky person at all. Um, (laughs) Elven weapon training, short sword, long sword, short bow, long bow. I mean... Uh, helpful, I guess, if she wanted to like use a longbow and stay in the back, but she's much more likely to, like you said, stay in the back and you know lob a fireball at someone because light clerics are great. Oh yeah, <laughs> I mean, there's no bad cleric, right? Very true. There's no bad cleric. Cleric is just even if you stripped away the subclass, it would still be excellent. Yeah. You know, with the subclass, now they're just like a full-on birthday cake of good stuff. <laughs> But with, um, yeah, there were some things in there that I was able to use in like a role play sense, but not really for being a cleric, you know? Yeah, no. uh, Yeah, there was this is where I think uh, one thing that could be helpful is like either more sub race or just more options for things to select when you pick your race. Right. Like. You can have this feature and this feature or this one. I think, you know, for the Dragonborn specifically, it's like, man, there's so many different ways to illustrate my character as a dragon, but maybe they don't do breath weapon. So what if instead they get, you know, plus one to their armor class and a bite attack? I don't think that's unreasonable. Or to say, okay, I'm a Dragonborn, but basically I'm going to borrow the stats from Aarakocra. Give me dragon wings. I don't breathe fire or do anything else, but flavor-wise... I just wreck all my GM's plans from the air. (laughs) Right. (laughs) (laughs) You know, 
can there be like a grab bag of options? And, th- and there's been some experimentation with that. A grab bag of options for racial traits would be interesting, but I think I think that it would be more interesting to have more backgrounds where things mm. that we consider to be racial traits, things like, for example, Savage Attacker or Mask of the Wild or uh, Enhanced Speed, like the Wood Elf gets 35 feet of movement as opposed to pretty much everyone else having 30. What if that right. was tied to a specific background? Like you're better at hiding because you were a scout in the army or something like that. Right. Yeah. I think I like that because they, they, I think uh, one thing that makes people uncomfortable with the whole discussion is why does being this race make me naturally better at performing this task? That's where it feels like it's it's at least mimicking racism in some way. Yeah. Right. It's like when your grandma goes. Oh, man, they're so good at running. And you just cringe (laughs) all the way down to the depths of your soul. And they're just and then they're like, what? I said they're good at it. That doesn't (laughs) help, Grammy. You're like, Grammy, bless your heart. Uh, But this is why we don't take you anywhere. Um, But I do like I do like the idea of it being tied more to backgrounds because it's tied more to this idea that you were a person before you were an adventurer. Mm hmm. Um, this is something that, that me and Alondra talk a lot about because we talk a lot about these sorts of things. And she was like, why isn't there a farmer background? Why isn't there like a merchant background? Why aren't there these things that are like, Hey, you didn't come into this world, like fully fledged, ready to be an adventurer. Who were you before? Well, to be fair, I think merchant is actually wrapped up into guild artisan, but it's it's like a variant. But yeah, but I totally get what you mean. Like, how come there's aren't aren't these like myriad other things? And I I felt like the intention was always, hey, let people have whatever background they want. Here is essentially the recipe to make one. It's not hard. You pick two skills. Maybe you add a tool proficiency and like here's some junk your character gets to start with. Right. Like that's pretty much what they what they made it. But it's also not that interesting. Right. Because you're like, great, these are all like ribbon features, with the exception of like Sailor that gives you perception, right? Yeah. But like everybody else is like, okay, here's some ribbon features, they don't matter, you know, hopefully you remember that they exist. Yeah, I think the only time that I've actually used a background ability was Outlander because I could uh, forage for myself and like four other creatures enough to eat every day without having to make any rolls. Which goes back to our our idea about, you know, if foraging isn't part of the game, that does bupkis. Right. Then it's like literally you got nothing. And if it is a part of the game, it's actually still a problem because now you've taken that aspect of challenge out of what was intended. Yeah. Right. So although it does, spe- it, oh, although it does specify inland that is able to sustain that. So oh, okay. if you're crossing okay. like a desert, you could probably still find some food, but it's going to take you longer and be harder. Right. Yeah. This might, this is not necessarily a guarantee. Okay. Right. Exactly. So, so, it, so, it, so you that's know, helpful. Yeah. You can forage for yourself an X number of people in an area where things are growing. So like in a forest, she had no problem in a forest that was contaminated. It was like, we're eating rations and I'm not touching anything. So I think that that's a great idea. But I would also say the physical attributes of the race still need to matter in some degree. Right. Like. The Herringon have big ears. That's got to be a thing, right? Sure, they're rabbit people. got to make use of that. 
right? If the if the Loxodon's not using the trunk, then what what do we do? What's the point? So the, this is where it comes to like my least favorite race in the game, other than Dragonborn, right? Because like everybody hates Dragonborn, but like th- this one frustrates me to to no end because it's a race everyone loves to pick, but like the mechanics aren't helpful. Go on. That one for me is the Tiefling. Hmm. I think that the Tiefling they got this like these horns. They've got a tail. Sometimes they're depicted with long fingernails and fangs, you know, this sort of thing. They have all this demon stuff going on. And what they get is some spells. And the spells are great. I'm not going to say that Tiefling's a weak race. Like, it's to get some decent things. Mm-hmm. None of the spells are real short showstoppers, but they're they're cool. Hey, like, Hellish Rebuke is good. Hellish, Hellish Rebuke can uh, turn the tide a couple of times. I've seen it happen. But, no, I, t- I take your point. Darkness can help or hinder, depending on how you use it. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, uh, I forget the, oh yeah, Thaumaturgy right away. That's fun. That's good flavor, but it's not necessarily powerful. But then the thing that really frustrates me is that like, then they have this tail and it just doesn't come up. You know, like that's, that's nowhere in their trajectory, right? Like, mm. dude, you got a, this cool tail. Every time I see... <laughs> Fan art on Pinterest or ArtStation or whatever. You know, I, I see all these tiefling monks, like, all the time. It's because, like, visually the idea of a tiefling monk is, like, just so cool. Oh, yeah. And then, like, you build one and you're like, this is garbage. <laughs> the, <laughs> this is not useful. Yeah, that's that's super fair. Like, huh. I hadn't really thought about that because I, I have seen a tiefling rogue use uh, a tail as effectively with the with working with their gm for like a trip attack in much the same way like you would stick a foot out to trip someone and it isn't a trip attack in the same sense of like uh the the battle masters type of thing it's just i'm gonna try to knock you on your face yeah and i mean again with your gm you can always circumvent all of these things easily but but that should be built in that should be built in. And so one thing I'm really hoping to see and one thing that I'm doing in my designs is like the number one rule is does this convey the the desired fantasy Two, does this physically make sense, you know, for their for their actual physical attributes, right? Like the things that they have. It's not racist to say the Minotaurs have horns. So that's a thing <laughs> that they can use. Well, and right? and and uh, Aarakocra have hollow bones. That's why they're so light and able right, to dash fifty, go fifty feet in in a single round of movement. <laughs> Absolutely. Then um, the other thing I was going to say is they need to be they need to be fairly class agnostic, right? Like it doesn't need to be per- a perfect combination with every class because that's just a really tall order, mm-hmm. but they, they should be generally, you could, you could use this for like stealth magic or melee, right? Like arranged or something like there needs to be more than one class. Like, okay. You look at the wood elf and they're like, this is a ranger or a rogue. Yeah. If you don't build this into a ranger or a rogue, you objectively picked wrong. Right. It's, it's like, it's cause too tied into it. Yeah. 
But at least it's a subrace, so I can kind of squint and go, whatever. Like, there's lots of different elves. But they don't have any butch elves, right? There's <laughs> no butch elf, right? <laughs> well, can, but then is that the fantasy? They can bench press, you know? I don't know. I mean, is, is that the fantasy? If someone is playing an elf, do they want to play a super butch elf? Well, I, w- I will say this. I would like to play a elf with a great sword and not feel like I picked wrong. You know what I mean? Because, yeah. like, the elf with a great sword, that could be like a Sephiroth fantasy kind of thing. Yeah, fair enough. You know what I mean? Like, especially like high elves. Mm-hmm. Um, high elves, by the way, Ponty I gifts. actually like them a little bit more because they can pick a cantrip. And the wizard list is quite long. Yeah, it is. The ability to select a, a cantrip, I think, is is a really great ability for, for any race. That's honestly something that I'd like to see implemented more. Because, like, if you're going with the concept of elves being more in touch with uh, the weave in whatever form that takes, whether it's, you know, wood elves being more tied to the forest, high elves being more tied to like knowledge and arcana. I'd love to see that in all of the sub races where it's like a wood elf could take a cantrip from uh, the druid list. From the druid list. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, why can't they do druid craft, you know, for free that that's not going to break your game, you know, and it's not like it's a good barrier or anything broken like that. It's a cantrip. <laughs> <laughs> right. You could cast good berry and conjure animals. Like, okay. Yeah. Too much. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, what, one thing I'm doing in my write-ups for my races is everybody gets a cantrip. Part of that is to, again, instill that, like, hey, you have to learn magic as part of this game. <laughs> um. The other part of it being a lot of these are flavorful enough that you could pretend like they're not magical. Like you can flavor it so that it's it's whatever. Right. Like I'm using telekinesis, not mage hand. Right. Hmm. Okay. Or, you know, I I rub two rocks together, you know, my flint and steel and I cast light, but I don't cast light. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like you can always just get around that. That's not flavor is free. But we should at least know how these mechanics work. And I think that they're a good way to give us, well, flavor, frankly, for, for each of these characters and also some degree of utility. And I think that that utility in many ways is like kind of the key word we want to shoot for when it comes to race design. Mm-hmm. Because if, it, if we are aiming it at a specific type of power, then I think we pigeonhole them into like half orcs are obviously fighters. They're supposed to be melee fighters. Wood elves should be running bows. High elves are probably going to be wizards or some kind of magic user of some kind. Uh, dwarves need to be basically fighters or clerics. Or art- or artificers now. Yeah, yeah. So, and, and well, and even before Tasha's, even artificer wouldn't be ideal for them. Yeah. Because they don't get intelligence, right? But it makes so much so. sense flavor-wise for them to be like artificers, right? Oh, 100%. Mentally, that just makes sense. Right. Like, why does the subterranean race that's, like, known for, like, building everything not get plus intelligence? These are people who have figured out how to live (laughs) underground where where everything is trying to kill you. The the (laughs) Underdark and and the various, like, underground places are Fantasy Australia. Yeah, they're like, nah, wisdom. Con. I mean... 
There is something to be said for wisdom as far because uh, survival is a sure. wisdom score uh, ability, but yeah, mm. yeah. I mean, and and I'm glad that they at least said okay that they now go wherever because I always felt like that was probably the most problematic aspect of the races was the ability score increases because they don't even like really address the physical build of the character. It's just like here's what they're typically going to be. And it's like, well, my character is an adventurer, so they're probably not going to be typical. They're probably going to be completely atypical. Sure. They're going to do something that's that's weird. That's part of what's going to make them them special, you know, but then when it comes to the other like sort of utility features, that's where we can get a lot of this flavor in without necessarily pigeon holding them into halflings or rogues. And if you didn't pick that, you're wrong. Yeah, I mean, right. that's that's a fair assessment, because even looking at our world, um, we're all humans. We're yeah. all good at very different things. And, and some of and it very bad. At yeah. Things. And some of that has to do with upbringing. And some of that has to do with innate talent. Like, you know, I have never been good at drawing. So that's never something that I have ever pursued. But I have always been pretty good at putting words together. So I pursued that as a, a thing that I enjoy doing. Right. And it, it, no, no matter how hard I work, I will never be in the NBA. I'm, I simply do not possess the height. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and I'm and I'm not a runner. Nope. <laughs> right. But, you know, when it comes to our fantasy, we want to break some of these rules. Right. Yeah. Um, and we want to be able to do things that aren't possible, like, you know, fly or see in the dark or get eight hours of sleep and actually wake up refreshed. Can you imagine being able to, like, do the meditation in four hours in in real life, you know, <sighs> how great that would be. <laughs> I would get so much more done in my life if I didn't have to sleep as much. See, I feel like I would be just as useless because I would just be four <laughs> more hours of gaming or whatever. <laughs> I mean, I guess it'd be better at gaming. Right? <laughs> there are those idle games that you can just have we have running all the time. And I'll bet you could do that and meditate. Good Lord. Good Lord. <laughs> I mean, it's not like StarCraft or anything, but... Right. No, like, you've got to be on Adderall to make StarCraft work for you. Pretty much. Um, anyway, those are just some things. I think we've done pretty well at defining what we would like races to look like and what we like about them, what we don't like about them. Um, to that extent, uh, you know, you said Half-Elf was like your your go-to. Is it your favorite race? And do you have a favorite outside of Half Elf? <laughs> um, I mean, Half Elf is definitely one of the ones that I keep returning to. Half Elves and Elves are kind of my comfort zone, much like Cleric is my comfort zone class to play. I am having a lot of fun playing a Hadozi over on Golden Vault when, really? I, when I get to play in that. Oh my gosh, Risha is so much fun to play <laughs> because uh, Hadozi can be small or medium and you determine that when you build them. So you pick small, obviously. Gee, it's like you know me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as soon as they made that an option for anyone, I'm like, you know, everyone's picking small now, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, I... I I don't usually pick like truly small, like five foot or like five foot half, uh, like like a three footer or something, three foot five or anything like that. I usually am like I hang out in the five foot to five foot three range because that's a little bit shorter than I am in real life. Yeah, we could draw a straight line over the heads of all of your characters. I'm pretty sure and they would be about the same height as each other. 
That's uh, not you, quite true. Uh, Rowan is five eight, and Iza is six foot even. So, oh wow, okay, so we got a couple of exceptions. I, I was I was trying to challenge myself with a couple taller characters, and I was like, "How do you not beat your head into door frames all the time?" Because <laughs> I'm short, right. so I'm just accustomed to seeing the world from down here. <laughs> but I really am enjoying playing uh, Hadozi for like being able to monkey around with my feet and uh the hadozi glide is great i'm like i'm a flying squirrel monkey (laughs) right and being able to glide around is not going to like pigeonhole you into one class or another right no but isn't it limited based on like the armor you're wearing like the weight you're carrying i think so i'd have to look at it again because yeah i mean i play a monk so so it doesn't matter. I don't even yeah. think about it because, yeah, Risha is never wearing armor and is just like leaning on a staff that's, you know, two feet taller than them. So that makes sense, right? Like, that's that's fine. And, you know, I don't feel bad if monks get a little bit of a uh, of a boost from certain races because they Lord knows they need it. Yeah, they certainly um, do. I love I love playing <laughs> monks. I've done it a couple of times, but they are definitely glass cannons. That's another one that's very good for turtle. Right. It's just like literally playing the Ninja Turtle is not. A good idea. <laughs> what about you? If you if you uh, couldn't pick half work, what would you pick? Yeah, I mean, I think, again, like for me, Heron Gone is like the gold standard of here's how you want to design a race. Because, like, I never thought I wanted to be a bunny guy. Right. <laughs> and then I read what they do and I was like, I want to be a bunny guy. Right. Like, this is great. This looks like fun. We'd be over here being Judy Hops. Yeah. By the way, I think that that Half Elf is a tremendously well designed race because they're basically designed to do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. They're like, just here's a couple more skills, man. Like, what else you want? Not much. Like, not much. You know, like that's not going to pigeonhole you too much. It's like, yeah, they kind of lend themselves to Bard a little bit, but what is a Bard but a little bit of everyone? Right. Well, and one so. of the th- one of the things that I think is maybe a little bit more broken as far as 5e goes, you you touched on it that there that intelligence is the dump stat because there's only two classes that require it. Right, yeah. And and in the PHB there's only one. Yeah. Whereas with charisma, which is where the half elf gets their biggest boost by by the original raw, you've got sorcerer, you've got warlock, you paladins that that's their casting ability, and um, different kinds of rogues uh, subclasses. It's good to have that that charisma. Like there are so many ways that chari- like it doesn't get pigeonholed, but that's because charisma is over freaking used. Yeah, charisma is everywhere. Charisma is everywhere. And it's also one of those ones where it's like, okay, even if this is not for my class, this is always useful because I can at least, you know, talk to somebody. I can always do something in a social interaction of some kind. And if you're doing things like like point by, then sure, you can say I'm going to take an eight into charisma and have those points to spend elsewhere. And then your charisma is still at base level with everyone else. Mm -hmm. As far as like normal people go. You can definitely dump charisma if you want to. And there are so many classes and stuff that say, yeah, use charisma. They they definitely need to make more use out of intelligence in the, in the next version of the game. They really do. In, in my opinion. Like, it needs to be something where every class w- would at least gain some kind of benefit from, from using it. Like, why can't there be 
a fighter that leans intelligence, even if it's not like, okay, I'm an intelligence based fighter. I think that that's a little too much, but like, okay, if you took a 12 in intelligence, it wouldn't be the wrong choice because you get this feature is actually benefiting here. Um, you know, like, like, let's say you pick battle master, like, okay, if you have, you get like three maneuvers plus, you know, your ability score modifier, right? Something like that. You just get a couple more options because you're more intelligent. Honestly, I, I would much rather in some senses see uh, intelligence treated more like the other mental stats where there's two full casters and a half caster class that are based on intelligence. Well, yeah. And I think for sure you put the artificer straight into the book. It's, oh, yeah. It's clearly part of the canon. And they're basically a half caster, right? Yes. I mean, yeah. So they're already fulfilling the sort of like paladin ranger role. So what we need now is to probably just bring back the scion and just say, okay, here's our, our other in- intelligence based caster. That would probably be what's required. I will say this for intelligence, though, like they do sneak in when it comes to uh, Eldritch Knight and uh, Arcane Trickster. That's true. But you could say that about pretty much any of the uh, of the subclasses like strength sneaks into cleric with like um, forge and war domains. Yeah. By the way, forge domain does not give you um, martial weapon proficiency. (laughs) I cannot believe that Twilight Domain Twilight gives, gives, you, gives you proficiency in heavy armor and a whole bunch of weapons, but not for Like, what? Yeah, forge, what is that? Forge, yeah, Forge Masters cannot use Warhammers. That's so dumb. Unless they're dwarves, which is why the picture is a dwarf. They're like, pick dwarf. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and there's a certain aspect of that where, where it's like, you know, we I, I see it a lot actually when people are building for for uh, for Arena of the Five E's. I've seen you do it as well, where it's like I'm going to take this character in media and I'm going to turn them into a D and D character. Mm-hmm. What does that look like? Yeah, there's by the way, there's a whole uh, YouTube channel that's like devoted to that. Tulak the Barbarian like takes popular media characters and uh, makes them in D and D, and that's really fun to watch. I think I've seen at least write-ups of that because someone sent it to me because they did uh, Joker from Persona 5. Right, yeah, yeah. Which would be so interesting to try to do in D&D <laughs> because so much of his power is based on switching abilities. Yeah, yeah. But that's a rabbit that trail it, for another day. <laughs> yeah, that's for another time. Um, I would be interested to see what other people's uh, ideas about what makes an effective race, what the best races are. What are the ones that we should keep slash learn from? What Which ones need to be reworked? I mean, even Wizards is like, yeah, the Dragonborn's not good. We need to figure this one out. Yeah. But they, they seem still to be stuck on breath weapon is where we begin. It's like, I'm not sure it is. Yeah, because, I, I mean, what, what, what scares, I mean, that is the thing that scares people about dragons, though, right? Like, you think of a dragon, and you think of the scene from the D&D movie with the black dragon flying by and spraying uh, acid or whatever that was. Sure. Like, yeah. that is the thing that you think of with dragons. So I can see why the breath weapon would be, like, uh, a characteristic of a dragon-descendant race. Um, mm-hmm. So I guess the question there is, 
maybe that is a place where a grab bag of ideas could come from, where it's like you get a tail attack or a breath weapon or I don't know, a claw attack or something like built into your character, but you can choose one of the three. Yeah, I think that that's the best way to handle it, because then the onus is on the player to make their fun how they want to do it. Like, you know, or give you smaller versions of everything or, you know what, let's just start with the dragon board. Let's give them all kinds of fun stuff and give them that full dragon fantasy. And then let's just build every other race to be balanced off of that. Mm -hmm. You know, that could also be an interesting way of taking it. You know, it's like you get scales, claws, teeth, tail, wings. Okay, so now let's make an elf and see what we can come up with. <laughs> right? Yeah. And, and I think that might be another interesting way. Like, maybe the answer here is lean in. Sure. As, a, as opposed to, to water everything down, which I think is kind of more the direction that they're going in. Which makes sense, because if you water something down, it is more palatable to more people, and they're trying to cast a wide net. And I think that there's a lot of danger to that, because if if your audience is everyone, your audience becomes no one. Correct. That's very true. Yeah, I think it's fun, though, to design with high power in mind, mm -hmm. and then to just make the encounters harder. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that does tend to be uh, the, the way that I like to see uh, even like one shots and stuff go where it's like, yes, you can roll your your sets, you know, three times and pick which one you like out of them. I think that's more interesting. Beef them Absolutely. up. Absolutely. I need to do another game where it's just like roll down the line and then go from there. Like, don't even bring a concept. That sounds terrifying and I love it. <laughs> that's right. It's like you just you roll strength and intelligence only and you're like, great. <laughs> One of I the, guess I'm an Eldritch Knight. So there were two D&D &D games that that were played on Joko Cruise as like part of the performances with people like Brennan Lee Mulligan and Erica Ishii and like that collection of people who were there as TTRPG celebrities. Um, Abrea ran one game and Brennan ran another and they handled things like... They handled the game very differently for, hi, some of our players have never played this game before. All right, how do we do this? So Brennan handed everyone a blank sheet and he said, all right, the first time I, you are not going to fill in any of your stats unless it, unless that actual stat role becomes important. Mm. But the first time that you do a perception check, an uh, investigation check, whatever, you're going to roll a d20 and that number is the number that you're starting with. The brutal, no, 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 the brutal part was the next part because oh he said, roll that D20 again. If it's uh, 11 or higher, that number is positive. If it's 10 or lower, that number is negative. Oh my gosh. A couple people ended up with like negative 17 and negative 15 to a couple of things. <laughs> oh my God. Brutal. It was so much fun to watch. That's a, that's. Hey, man, for a one shot, <laughs> let's do whatever. Right. Right. It's like, like that amnesia one shot that I hear going around sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Speaking of amnesia, uh, in case people forget where they can find this show, where, where should they look? Uh, the show that we are currently speaking on. Yes. Uh, well, you can find it over on uh, the, the Quest and Chaos <laughs> Network because hey. we moved over there from from Buzzsprout. Yes. 
And I, the, the speaker, do not currently have more information on that because we're going to be building that in a couple days from when we record this. Thanks, Adam. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I'm used to trying to, you know, lead out of the episode at the end. Um, and then I'm like, yeah, you're right. We don't necessarily have a place yet. Nope. That's true. But you know what? Uh, join the Discord. Uh, all of the information about stuff that we're going to be doing is is there. Yeah, that part's not changing. Um, I think the patrons staying the same. Yeah, all of that should be be good. Uh, any uh, last thoughts to leave the people with, Tiana? If elves were actually based on Tolkien's material, they could walk on snow without leaving footprints. <laughs> Would it be a fair game, though? Like, wouldn't elves just be outright better than everyone? That's what Tolkien made them to be. (laughs) (laughs) And everything since then has been an attempt to water them down. It's like, okay, well, you clearly have your favorite. (laughs) Yeah, I wonder if he would look at the idea of a half-orc at all and be like, what are you doing? I wonder sometimes what Tolkien would think of how fantasy has changed and grown. I don't think he'd be upset about it because he knows he knew that stories changed in the telling. I think he'd be fascinated with some of the directions that people picked up on. I also wonder if he would. No, you know what? He probably wouldn't because uh, he he was best friends with C.S. Lewis with his talking freaking animals. I was going to make a comment about furries to tie back to the beginning, but I was like, no, (laughs) he wouldn't be surprised. (laughs) He'd be like. Good. The future is as weird as I am. (laughs) As it should be. So, you know what? (laughs) Stay weird, everyone, and stay inspired. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Inspiration Point. If you'd like to support what we do, go and check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash inspiration point. If you can't support us directly, that's okay. You can also help support us by telling people about the podcast. A little inspiration goes a long way. Inspiration Point is edited and produced by Tiana Hansen and is distributed by Quest and Chaos. If you like what you hear with us, give Quest and Chaos YouTube or Twitch channels a visit. They play Dungeons and Dragons on a weekly basis and have a bunch of campaigns of Call of Cthulhu, D&D, and board game playthroughs archived on their YouTube. Join us next week for more inspiration. Thank you.